0: Welcome Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. My special guest today is an NKU alum and who continues to serve veterans, but
1: we'll get into that in just
0: a minute. But first, welcome to the show, and to get started, do you mind just stating your name and the branch of service you were in?
1: Uh, thanks, Rusty. My name is Ian Kirst. Uh, I was in the United States Army and then uh, continued my service in the, uh, in the National Guard for a short period of time afterwards. Did you spend any time overseas? Yes. I deployed to Afghanistan while I was active duty okay. uh, from 2014 to 2015. Okay. Um, what part? I was in RC East. Okay. And when I say I was in RC East, I was all over RC East, or at least what was left of RC East. Right. Um, I started off as a platoon leader. When I got to um, Afghanistan, I was—I started off my first three months. I was—I was the EOD platoon leader for um, the the uh, an EOD platoon that was operating out of FOB Shank. Um, this was, you know, obviously my unit was—I was in the 704th Ordnance Company EOD. We were, you know, we served over there, and uh, I was sent to FOB Shank, which I was—I was sent to the probably the most. Kinetic environment for Afghanistan during that time period. Right. Fob Shank was often called Rocket City. Yeah. We were rocketed like three times a day. On you know, I, I, sometimes it only be once, but a lot of times it would be morning, noon, and and at night and and at dinner. I you know, they were, they were trying to target us when we would go to chow. Right. <laughs> Cause that was when you saw a mass influx that's the big of, group people. of people. Yeah. And and the, the chow hall is the biggest building, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the biggest buildings and easiest to hit on a long, skinny fob that is situated between two mountains, you know, pretty easy to aim for right. <laughs> with uh propping a rocket up against some rocks, which is what they were doing. Right. So, you know, um, were they very effective with the rocket fire? No. It was mostly harass- harassing fire. Yeah. Um, you know, they used it as, uh, as kind of PR. Like, oh, hey, we rocketed. And they would, they would claim that, we they, you know, they, according to the intel channels, they would claim that they killed, like, 70 service members with one rocket, which isn't accurate at all. But that's what they would tell the people, and they would, that's how they kept the, the local populace scared. Yeah yeah because um, they, they were saying that they were in you know creating all these casualties uh, in reality the bad guys weren't really killing that many of us unfortunately they did kill a few of us yeah. and uh, you know I, I did lose a couple friends over there I did have a, a team of soldiers that were injured um, they sh- had an IED strike on their vehicle um, all three were awarded Purple Hearts and you don't necessarily have to leave the wire in, in order to to get a purple heart over there you know uh i had quite a few close calls with rockets myself you know just because they're not you know accurate because they prop it up against a rock and run away after they light the the, light a fuse going into the the the, uh into a rocket you know like it's all improvised yep so you know they're 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 you know using military chinese military rockets or iranian Mm -hmm. military rockets and they were they were shooting them at us and and you know, they weren't being fired the way they were initially designed, so they weren't very accurate. But occasionally, you know, you, you never know, know a blind squirrel finds a nut. You know, you know, occasionally. So, I had one instance in which I was uh, helping a soldier train for. Um, I was pacing. I was providing a pace for a soldier that was training for uh, the Army temp. Well, she was training to run a marathon, and we were the the FOB leadership had decided that. They were going to do a shadow run for the Army 10 Miler, so they were going to do a 10 mile race on Fob Shank, and we were going to run around the airstrip, you know, so many times, and that was going to be 10 miles, so to speak. Right. So they had mapped out a course, and we were all going to run it. And so I was running, and you know, I was wearing nothing but you know, PT shorts and PT shirt, and we were running around, and then all of a sudden we hear the the incoming sirens. They were like, okay, well we got to run towards the bunker. As we were running towards the bunker, you know, me and my soldier the rocket came in and landed right in front of the bunker wow. Wow. <laughs> so it was you know it was on the other side of the bunker and luckily neither one of us were uh were injured by the shrapnel but unfortunately we did both have our you know bell rung a little bit and we were both you know released with they called it a, an mtbi a mild, mild, mild traumatic T-Bunker. Brain injury, which kind of two opposing words there mild and traumatic, you know, like whatever. But uh, I'm not a doctor, so I just took their their recommendation and I, you know, stayed stayed out of the game for an hour. Funny enough, we were the ones that respond to rocket strikes. Right. We investigate them and we, you know, determine whether or not it's safe.
0: Well, and you said you were all over RC South. So you did a lot of- RC East. RC East, I'm sorry. So, RC East. Yeah,
1: after my first three months, then I went to Bagram. <sighs> okay. And I, I got laterally promoted to the operations officer of the company. And while I was there, there were only two EOD companies in the uh-huh. country. So my company was all of RC East. All right. So I had to frequently had to do inventories of, you know, the sensitive items inventories and fly around to all the different little fobs which wasn't all that many left in 2014, 2015. But you know, I got to I got to see a lot of a lot of Afghanistan, at least the eastern part of Afghanistan, eastern quarter of Afghanistan. Absolutely, and yeah, I should have screwed that country. up
0: because I was in RC East for a while. Yeah, Capital no, yeah. Capital. Yeah, as well. well, we
1: actually we actually had RC Capital too. We right. had a team down in, in Kabul, and that was that was I always liked going to Kabul because it was an interesting. It was so interesting because there was there was a little tiny little fob there that was called the New Kabul compound, and it was so cool because it was like in the heart of like pretty much in the heart of downtown Kabul, mm. and it was you know like you when you walked to the gate, you there was a street right in front of it and cars were passing by, yeah. <laughs> so you could see you know Afghan locals just driving right outside the gate and it was it was an interesting it was an interesting place, but yeah yeah and and the 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 team that was down there talking to them about some of their experiences you know responding to ied strikes was you know the way that they described it was like a third world not maybe not necessarily a third world but a developing nation uh new york city right (laughs) cars constantly doing whatever and and uh no traffic laws, no nothing. Correct. Just get through and just get through. Car, you can do it. Yeah, as fast as possible. As fast as possible. Yeah, and the roads there, the the rural roads weren't all that much different either. It was no. just less frequency of cars.
0: Exactly, <laughs> and a donkey and a trailer. Yeah, and yeah, pretty much once in a while. Tractor
1: tractor there was tons of tractors jingle jingle trucks jingle trucks yes the jingle trucks that were packed you know like an upside down trapezoid absolutely that you know they would be taking mountain they'd be driving through these mountain roads and they're stacked you know wider you know up way above the cab and out wider than the base and it's like how are they not flipping all into the 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 you know into the river or the crevasse or whatever the you know the cliff falling off these cliffs driving these like tight mountain roads and I'm like, how 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 do these people survive? Absolutely, great question. <laughs> There's a reason their life expectancy is low, and yes. I don't necessarily think it's all from war. That's true. That is true.
0: <laughs> so with so obviously you were very successful in the military. Uh, you went through the EOD. Yeah. Um, did your deployment? Uh, when you decided to get out, how difficult was it kind to get back into that? quote-unquote, civilian mindset. And maybe the National Guard helped a little bit. So maybe we break it down to two sections. From when you transition from active duty. Correct. And then and when, what time frame was that
1: about? Um, it was uh, 2016. 2016. So I got out so, about a year after I got back. From where did you
0: leave from?
1: Yeah. Fort, Fort Hood. Fort Hood. So yeah, I was then, on Fort Hood.
0: Where's Fort Hood? Texas. In Texas. So then the you. Part keep, of Texas. Did you come back to this area?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm from here originally. Okay. Um, I came back and uh, it was an adjustment. Getting back to civilian life was an adjustment. Things are not quite the same. Right. And I did have a little bit, you know, everybody who goes over, I. I, I a f- adamant believer that they come back with some level of PTSD. There is something that, you know, aff- affects you when you're in a combat zone mm-hmm. and you, you know, whether or not you go outside the wire or not, whether it's just the constant threat of, Hey, maybe a rocket might land and take me out today. You know, right. yep. that, 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 that's something that everybody has to deal with. And I, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, people who, you know, when you're, when you're in, you're like, oh, you know, the, those people are fobbits. They're, you know, they, they don't, you know. And Once you get out, though, veterans are your only, like, they're, they're the ones that, exp- they're your friends, you know, like, it, it doesn't matter. For me, it never really truly mattered because I made friends wherever I went, but it was, it's easiest for someone who serves to get along with another person, whether or not they served in a combat zone or not, that constant, you know, the military lifestyle. It's that like-minded experience, right? Correct. Yeah. Whether you were in the Air Force, whether you were in the Marines, whether you were in, you know, the Coast Guard, or whether you were in the Navy or Army or whatever, it doesn't really matter. I guess now the Space Force. Right. That constant, you know, having somebody else maybe controlling your life. Because you don't really truly have 100% control of your life. Yeah. Would I have wanted to go to Fort Hood? No. <laughs> I was my one of my last places that I wanted to go at all, and I ended up staying there for three years. Right. Uh, you just, and, and, you know, I'm sure everyone in the, the Air Force, they hate Minot, you know, and there were people that dreaded the, the, the Minot North Dakota, and they were like, there's nothing, you know. There's no reason to go to Minot, North Dakota. Why are we have a base there? You know, but that we do, and and you know, the, you can you can commiserate with each other, right? Um, you know, and and there's something about experiencing the military lifestyle that you don't really get from any any other. You know, there there are things that might come close to it, um, but there's never anything hundred percent like it you know the military is its own animal you know whether the military is it's very similar I, I call it like life in the extremes you know it's the extreme of of what you might experience in life it's every extreme that you could experience in life whether it be you know uh, the, the, the the extreme highs mm-hmm. and the extreme lows you will experience both no matter how, if four years or you know twenty years, you're going to experience the extreme highs and the extreme lows. Absolutely. Especially in in war. Right. You know, and war makes it that much more extreme.
0: Absolutely. So, if you had some, uh, maybe a tip or a tool, maybe there's a service member that might listen to this, that might be getting out in the next month, six months, whatever the case may be, uh, what
1: tips would you give them to help them ease
0: their transition?
1: So. In reality: If you're thinking about getting out, have a solid plan, mm-hmm. have a backup plan, have a have a third plan. Whether you're gonna, whether you have done 20 years in the service and you're retiring, or whether you did you did you know your initial f- three or four years or whatever you signed up to do and decided you wanted to get out, and I would encourage anybody who you know is getting out after three or four years. Look or you know ten years or whatever, however long. Keep your options open as far as the the National Guard or the Reserves. Look into them. Mm-hmm. Look definitely look into them because it is difficult to to convince civilian employers of your your skills and abilities. Right. Um. Even as an officer, when I was in charge of. 43 people, and I was, you know, I was overseeing, at 25, I was overseeing all the U.D. operations for all of, of RC East. Right. So, every, I, everything that went boom in RC East and Afghanistan, probably one of the most kinetic regions of, you know, at that time, for, for military <laughs> operations, anything that went boom, I pretty much knew about it, you know, that, so... I also, mind you, had to. I was also the unit movement officer because we're we're small unit. We have to do everything that the regular army units do too, and we have right. far less people to do it. So I was also the unit movement officer. I was in charge of planning the trip back to the United States. So, communicating all those things to all of that terminology means nothing to a civilian employer. Right. They don't understand that you do everything that a civilian employer does typically and then some you know and I, I i i try to you know communicate that with the civilian you know military divide we're not the best at communicating what all we actually do while we're in the service amen there that is true. we we struggle with that and and if there is anything i can encourage people to do learn about you know, the go to the classes that you know. I'm the, the military gave me this, um, the army gave me this this class. It was called. Uh, it was like some like TAPS transition assistance program. I encourage you to to not only pay attention in that class, but to ask questions. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can go to more kind of transition assistance classes, those are going to be crucial. And the other thing is, is you know also consider your time in the the federal service you know you all those years that you have in the military aren't for anything or or, aren't for nothing if you you know even if you don't decide to go to the federal the federal route the federal route scares a lot of people because there's you know you have to basically compile this long laundry (laughs) list of things and it's it's a difficult slow process and it's like everyone's like all right well i don't want to go federal because I don't want to go to another Fed job. I don't want to work for the federal government again. I, I'm fed up with the federal government. Right, <laughs> a lot of us veterans, you know, we're fed up with it afterwards. Right. And I, the federal government is very similar to the military. You, you, it's the it's the beast you know over the beast you don't know right. a lot of times. Right. So working for the government is something that you're going to find is very familiar, mm-hmm. and you'll find that a lot of veterans end up there. Right. So you'll be amongst other veterans and you'll be amongst people who care about your service because they understand what it means. Right. Hi, I'm Staff Sergeant Jason Myrtle. I'm the recruiter for the Kentucky Army National Guard here at NKU and in Northern Kentucky. The Kentucky Army National Guard offers 100% scholarship to any public university in Kentucky along with a possible $20,000 enlistment bonus additional income while attending college, and numerous other benefits. If you have any interests or questions, my contact information will be in the show notes. Go guard.
0: A couple of key things that you said there is don't be afraid to reach out and gather additional support and help. Correct. Um, Correct. Especially with other like-minded folks that are military veterans and support systems. Exactly.
1: Lean on your support systems because they're going to be the ones that are going to help you get through it. Florida, the Panhandle of Florida was, was I, I enjoyed it, but I'm not a beach person, so that you know I, I would love to I I actually did go back last year um, to drop off you know an item for the U D Memorial. Um, they they every year the U D community gets together, all four service branches they get together they they hold the U D Memorial Ball, Wow. where they commemorate any soldier, airman, sailor. Uh, you know Airman uh, marine that passed away in the, in the line of in the line of duty um, while you know and what's really cool about the the memorial is that there's actually a memorial outside the school right. and they have the names of all from each service branch underneath you know each one has each one's insignia every you know and they explosively engrave the names hmm. of the individual who passed away um, you know with their their name and you know their service and their their you know rank and all that and the, the the dates, so it's really cool. It's really it's really sobering. Our graduation was held right outside the memorial, um, and it's it's a uh, it's a really cool experience to to go to the memorial and then there's the the ball afterwards. Well, now that
0: you've kind of uh, you know you've been out for a little bit now. Yeah. Correct. Um, if you could go back and talk to that that freshman before he joined ROTC, or before he became commissioned officer, or even before he went to ROTC field mm-hmm. training or boot camp, whatever you might mm-hmm.
1: call it, what
0: advice would you give that person? Hmm.
1: That's that's a good question. So I, I would give that that young young Ian uh, a uh, I would give him the the words of wisdom of keep keep an open mind Mm -hmm. keep an open mind and don't get your you know don't get wrapped around the axle when things don't go as planned because Every instance in my life, there's never been a plan that I've ever executed as a military officer that went entirely to plan. Right. I could have the best laid plan out there, the simplest, most easy to execute plan, and there's always something that is going to go awry in every plan that I've ever done. But persistence and and you know, adapting and overcoming have gotten me to where I'm at in life. Right. And they've continued to, to, you know, propel me. Uh, I've had a lot of different careers after the military. Uh, you know, I've, I've walked away from a lot of different careers. And I, I would also tell myself to don't be afraid to walk away from a career if it's not for you. Right. Don't force yourself into something that isn't a right fit. If you have found something you like, stick with it, you know, to any service member that's transitioning to, I, I forgot to mention this, Earlier, get involved in some sort of veteran-based, you know, um, organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of them out there. Uh, for myself, I found that I really like the Barracks Project. Right. And locally, I think that it is a great experience for me. It's worked well. They do they they do a mission that I agree with and and want to help with and want to help other veterans. Right. Helping other veterans is going to be, it's going to help you so much and it's going to, it's going to propel you. It's only going to make things in life better for you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of my final question for you is any final thoughts? What have we covered? Correct. So uh,
1: I actually do want to cover this Mm -hmm. and I know it was a question that I saw a sample question have i ever tactically acquired anything i <laughs> well, want to end I wanna... tactically acquired I, I, but... exactly so i yeah. want i want to i want to go back to that and yeah. i want this to be a little you know i, I felt like it's it kind of it's kind of been a little heavy right. on the on the emotional side i want to go to something lighthearted and fun to end it because okay. that's truly who i am as a person and that's really how i truly feel um, so tactically have i tactically acquired anything Yes, and as an EOD as an EOD officer, yes, I have, and and I used my job entirely to get things that I wanted, because I had the 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 toy that everyone wants, the biggest baddest toy, and that is explosives. <laughs> there is not a single person on the planet who has ever said, "No, I don't want to blow anything up." Right. I, the answer to that question. It, it, Anybody I've ever asked was, hey, would you like to blow this up? Absolutely. Everyone says yes. So, yeah. And that and play with the robot. But that's the other story. Correct, correct. And those were two things that we had. And those were two bargaining chips. And they were huge bargaining chips people and people would actually ask to put on the bomb suit. I'm like, "Oh no, you don't want that." <laughs> they don't know how bad a bomb suit actually smells because there's only one per team.
0: Yeah.
1: And in EOD school, there's only there's only <laughs> one per team and you got to wear that same bomb suit all day wow. in the Florida heat. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't want to put on the bomb suit. If you're ever asked if you want to, you know, like put on the bomb suit, don't ever volunteer for that. It's heavy and it, it stinks. Yeah. Because there's, you could be twenty degrees outside and you'll still be sweating wearing that thing. Um, but the explosives, yes. So we would, we were tasked with destroying about two thirds of an ASP at Fob Shank, and all the amnesty boxes, yeah. which were being flooded with munitions, because people were leaving country. Uh, Rapidly.
0: Yeah.
1: From the time I got boots on ground in Afghanistan, there was around 30,000. When I left, there was 6,500. Wow. So all those people leaving, all those things that they may have picked up that might go boom, they all found their way to amnesty boxes, so we had a huge mission on our hands. And everywhere we were, we had a huge mission to get rid of munitions. Demolition, is a basic function that we we provide and we destroy what's called code h ammunition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They a lot of it was deemed code h because they didn't know when it, the lot number of it or they you know they just deemed it code h to get it off the books. Right. They weren't going to ship it back home it cost too much money. It cost more to ship it back home than what it was worth to you know so they we, we had a large a large quantity of explosives to get rid of in a short period of time. So we were having to do a lot of demolition. So we were kind of like Tom Sawyer in that, you know, hey, this is fun. Want to come help? (laughs) And we were recruiting all sorts of people to come. And we got so much. And we saw it as an opportunity because everyone wants to blow stuff up. We had a lot of stuff to blow up. And we needed bodies because there was only, an, you know, a platoon is only 11 guys. That's including the platoon leadership. Right. Which I had other, I had to, one of the platoon leadership had to be inside the, the our talk, man, manning a phone in case something were to happen at all times. And we typically had at least one team outside the wire at all times. Right. So two teams were basically, in a, it wasn't uncommon for us to have two teams outside the wire. So... One team, you know, of three guys working on, you know, with thousands of pounds of, ex, you know, trying to get rid of thousands of pounds of explosives, 40 pounds at a time, that's really difficult. So we would, we would oftentimes employ the, the labor of other people. So one of the things that we tactically acquired was we had some medical personnel that were in a couple tents over from us and they had these things called shaving profiles that they could hand out, and they gave every one of my soldiers, including myself and my platoon sergeant, a shaving profile where we didn't have to shave. So every one of my soldiers basically got to grow out their beard, you know, against regulations, or actually was technically within regulations because they had this specific shaving profile. Right. And then um, I managed to get. Not only did we, we when I first got to Fob Shank we had a shower trailer. Like it had three actual porcelain johns in it, it had three sinks <laughs> and it had three showers and it had two washer and dryer combinations. Wow. Very valuable asset Absolutely. in Afghanistan. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
1: So our our the company headquarters up at Bagram was still using Porta Johns. Yes. And as I was going back to Bagram, I thought this would be a shame to leave this here. So I got out the Sawzall, started disconnecting water lines, and I had it it shipped up (laughs) to to Bagram. (laughs) We ran into a few issues. But once again, through the use of explosives, we were able to not only get the shower trailer transported to Bagram, we were able to get it it included, uh, it, basically we had it, we had the this Air Force civil engineers running, had their plumbers, had their electricians <laughs> out wiring it up, you know, and, and, and running the plumbing for it. We had them doing all of that stuff to get it on the, on the grid. And then we ran into the issue of, well, they won't, the, the, the FOB mayor of Bagram wasn't going to let it on because it didn't have a building number and it had to get a building number, uh, you know. So yeah, you know, red tape, right? Right. Yeah. We cut through red tape with explosives, <laughs> and we got them to to uh, to basically get a building number because we took them outside and we had them blow up a thousand pounds of explosives <laughs> outside the wire, and like that, that that thing was up and operational. Because every good soldier knows you want to leave your, you know, you want to make your foxhole as great as possible before right. you leave. And and you you want the best foxhole in the in the in the combat world, and we had the best foxhole for our unit because we were we went from using porta johns in Afghanistan during the cold winter to to sitting on a warm porcelain you know a nice porcelain seat, an air conditioned and heated porcelain seat for whatever weather was thrown our way, and showers and and you know we had it was so much nicer than what we were dealing with.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, we could obviously sit here and talk stories yeah. all day long, Correct. but- uh, I appreciate we, time. We'll, well, I wanna say thank you, and I appreciate you sharing and giving some great wisdom and really open, at least in my eyes, and I think to a lot of people's eyes, about EOD and mm-hmm. what it's about and who it is. Correct. And it was just a pure pleasure right. And thank you so much for being part of Tactically Acquired. Thank you, Rusty.